Welcome to the Automotive Diagnostic Podcast. We're going to explore ways to sharpen our diagnostic skills, find learning resources, and hear from experts in the automotive field. This episode is brought to you by L1 Automotive Training and Keith Perkins. If you're looking for education on module programming, J2534, EEPROM work, key and immobilizer, electrical diagnostics, or drivability diagnostics, Keith has a website, l1training.com, that's got over 60 hours of training videos on all those subjects and more. When I first started out doing mobile, I utilized Keith's videos on module programming and J2534 in order to get my head wrapped around what I would need for the tooling, the computers, the software setups, you know, what kind of obstacles I would be up against when I'm out there programming modules on cars. And it was a huge benefit to me. And I continue to use the training videos um, that he has on his website. So I strongly recommend checking out l1training.com. We have got Auto Rescue Tools and Isaac Rodell as a sponsor for this podcast. Hey guys, if you're looking for programming laptops, you want the laptop set up ready to go for programming control modules on vehicles, you need key cutting equipment, you need diagnostic tools, Isaac is your guy. Has all that stuff available for purchase and the support that he offers along with the purchase has been outstanding. I bought some stuff from him in the past. I got my Dolphin key cutting tool from him several years back. And again, the support has been phenomenal. Helped me out along the way with anything additional I needed to make it work for me. So make sure to check that out as well. Again, that's autorescuetools.com. The link will be in the show notes. Hey, what's going on, automotive world? Welcome to another episode of the Automotive Diagnostic Podcast. My name is Sean Tipping, and I'll be your host once again for today's episode. Thank you so much for joining me. Today on the show, I've got Malcolm Tremel joining me. Malcolm is a technician and a teacher down in Texas, a former military member, um, he's spent some time in the field doing some mobile diagnostics and programming. He's actually still doing that, uh, but he's recently taken on a full-time teaching position at a technical college down there in Texas. So he's going to tell us all about that. We're going to chat a little bit about teaching. Uh, you know, I did some of that as well for about five years. So we'll share some stories, experiences, <laughs> centered around that, you know, the good, the bad, what we enjoy, what we struggle with, um, and also talk about life as a technician as well. So uh, this was really cool to get hooked up with and meet Malcolm. He's a great guy. I think you'll enjoy this interview. So with that out of the way, let's jump in. Well, uh, good afternoon, Malcolm. How is it going today? Uh, it's going pretty well. Just got out of class and uh, got in my office just to set this up. Nice. So you are you are a teacher. Uh, where do you teach? What do you teach? Um, I'm a teacher here at uh, Austin Community College here in Central Texas. Uh, I 
teach automotive for the most part. Uh, the classes I usually teach are electronics and engine performance based, though. That's that's where my forte is at the moment. Okay. How'd you how'd you get into that? What led you to teaching? Uh, well, I I came to this school for the automotive program as a student when I got out of the military, uh, so I can get a head start. And I did this while working at the local uh, GM dealer. Okay. And the acceleration of how I started grasping a lot of these concepts accelerated drastically. But towards the end, I started realizing that I, I, I started learning new skills. Uh, some of the few last classes I took before graduating, I learned how to use an oscilloscope. And it mm-hmm. opened up a whole new avenue of possibility that I can go through. And it, it piqued my interest all over again. Uh, and I kind of wished I would have learned stuff like this earlier on. It would have helped a lot more. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, okay, well, uh, why is that? And I asked one of my instructors, like, well, not a lot of people know how to use a scope, so they don't teach it. And I was like, oh, well, that's not good. Uh, <laughs> right. So along these lines, uh, but using the oscilloscope as an example, there's a, a lot of changes I wish that could have been made. And it kind of made me start thinking along the lines of me being a teacher. Uh, so after thinking about it over a course of a few years, I finally was like, okay, well, I'll apply to be a teacher. There was an o- opening at that time for an adjunct for part-time. And I applied for it, and I ended up getting it. Didn't realize how much I liked it, though. Okay. Uh, but uh, this this year, this semester, I uh, got the position of full-time. So now I'm teaching full-time at the same time, too. Oh, nice. Congratulations. That's a good feeling. People listening may not be familiar with how the adjunct and full-time faculty thing works. And they throw all these funky terms at you when you get into the academic world that I had to learn. Um, But so an adjunct is like basically a part-time and your, your job position, in my opinion, is pretty vulnerable when you're an adjunct. Basically, they don't have to bring you on for the next semester or the next school year. They can just say, yep, we don't have that position for you anymore. And you're not really locked in. The full-time faculty position, well, that that's still true. You could still lose your position there. It's it's a little bit more secure. Uh, you can get all the benefits, you know, that the college offers and stuff like that. So when you can transition to that, that's a really good good feeling and good, obviously, for you and for your pay too. That was the other thing. Is man, I, in my opinion, adjuncts really get the shaft when it comes to compensation for the amount of work that you have to put in. That, that's definitely true. That can definitely be an issue. Um, but I, luckily, I was, for the most part, able to get at least one class a semester. Um, but, you know, it's, it's being an adjunct, the more classes you teach, the more money you make, of course. But sure. it, it didn't matter because I, I still had my other uh, job uh, through my business. So I was able to go to shops and diag and program for them as well. So, Oh, nice. It was a nice add-on. So you're doing mobile stuff too? Uh, yes, I am. Uh, not as much right now currently because I'm trying to uh, settle into the full-time position, but mm-hmm. I, uh, I'll still do it uh, occasionally for this semester. But uh, I, I do mobile stuff for commercial use, go to shops, diag, they can't figure something out, I'll help them. Uh, not for free, of course, but uh, diagnose it get my pay, go on to the next shop, do the same thing. I'll market, whatever the case may be. 
Cool. Is that how you uh, uh, knew Zach? Because uh, Zach connected us. Um, actually, uh, Zach, I knew Zach. Actually, yeah, no, that's exactly how it happened. There's a group of us here for the uh, local Texas boys. And uh, I met him through there. Turned out we went to the same school, didn't even know it. Uh, oh. Yeah, we actually live very close to each other. Okay. And, and then I saw that he was on your show, and I said, like, oh, that's awesome. And then I found out a couple other guys in our group on the show, like, wow, I feel like I'm left out here. I need to, <laughs> <laughs> I need to hop on that. Uh, a, you're a pretty well-known guy in this industry. I know that much. Yeah. I try to connect with uh, as many of the, you know, passionate, interesting people as I can. So, uh, yeah, it's, um, I did this, I did it kind of in the reverse order when I did the teaching thing. I started the teaching first. I left, I was a full-time tech at Firestone and I left there to start teaching. And then it was the first summer, um, after I had finished my first year of teaching that I started the mobile thing. Um, cause I sat around for like a month I was like, summer is going to be awesome. You know, I'll just do whatever I want. And honestly, that got boring after like a month. I was like, okay, I need something to do. I need some work, <laughs> you know, driving people crazy at home. So um, that's when I started doing the mobile thing. I was like, well, this would be a good, um, you know, secondary thing to keep me active in the field and keep me up, keep my skills sharp. Um, that relates to teaching. And I did that for about four years doing both. And then my mobile portion got to a point where it was so, uh, it was just expanding so much that I had to, I had to pick a path and it wasn't easy because I really did enjoy the teaching. I really liked it. Um, the working with the students was extremely rewarding, challenging, but rewarding. Um, but the, the mobile one is the end up what I ended up picking as like, okay, I'm just going to focus on this now and see what happens. And I might go back to teaching someday, uh, but for now, that's that's my path. But uh, that's cool you're doing it, man. That's We, we need people uh, in that instructor role that are really passionate about this stuff and can help people get up to speed. And Yeah, and I agree on that. And that's one of the reasons why I'm trying to stick with it because uh, you don't see a lot of instructors that are still in the industry seeing the stuff that's coming out today and using that to uh, guide the future technicians into the field. And uh, there's a there's a couple of us currently, uh, mostly adjuncts that are in the industry and teaching at the same time, which I think is great. Like, we need that because um, I still see some instructors teaching how carburetors work and how distributors right. work. And, I think we need to kind of focus a little less on that and more on direct injection and understanding why we have, you know, 500 to 1300 PSI in the fuel rail plus, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's about time to move on past yeah. carburetors. <laughs> so, uh, and even now, cause with everybody wanting to go to this 2040 EV uh, industry, which in my opinion is, isn't a bad thing, but it's kind of fast paced. If in personal opinion, uh, we need to prepare the technicians that are coming into the industry for that same direction, just in mm -hmm. case, you know? uh, because there's a lot of techs in the field that really don't want to touch those. 
and there are those that coming in don't want to touch those, but they don't realize that, hey, you're going to have to touch it. Yep. Yeah. With with the push from the way the um, government is going with, you know, regulations and incentives towards that, like you're not going to have a choice. It's going to be in your bay or you're not going to have work to do. And so and it's. I won't say that it's always more difficult, but it's definitely different and you have to read up on it. You have to be educated on the safety stuff and then also the diagnostic portion of it too. And so, yeah, you got to have something to prepare you for that. So uh, let me ask you this. Do you guys teach uh, or have like a hybrid high voltage electric portion of your program? We do, but don't. Um, We do because we do have a course that's not officially a program uh but it's a class that you take it's alternative fuels currently we're in the process of revamping it into its own course uh of of, of its own program uh for hybrids and evs uh it because alternative fuels doesn't just focus on hybrids evs it also focuses on uh, cng and uh, nitrogen and all the other forms of uh fuel alternative Mm -hmm. sure um, but my, our, our department chair, my boss, he's starting to see that now, uh, and he's pushing on to not just me, but a few other instructors to come together and kind of get something going so we can invest more of our funds into that direction. So that way we're better prepared and, uh, not just hybrids and EVs. I'm also trying to sneak in some ADOS as well. Cause uh, not a lot of instructors know a lot about that now. Yeah. Uh, so our challenge was because we we had purchased an ADAS kit at the college because we wanted to integrate that. And we bought a couple hybrid vehicles from we worked with some local dealerships and we were able to get a couple. But our challenge was where do we fit it in within the time that we're allotted with the students? Right. Because. You ours was a two year program and you could do as a student, you could do one year and get a certificate or you could u- do the um, two years and get your uh, diploma for the for the entire program. But even if you did the two years, it's like we already have to because we were um, ASE accredited. Where do you fit in more stuff? Right. Because you have to teach a specific amount. You have to teach certain sections. You can't leave stuff out and be accredited by ASE or, and I mean, for good reason, like you got to teach brakes and steering and suspension and cooling systems and HVAC and right. That stuff isn't going away, but where do we put in electric vehicles? Where do we put in ADOS? It's a whole nother program, like another four credits of stuff. So how do you, do you add another year to the program? And that was our challenge. And I don't, we didn't come up with a answer. We were just trying to squeeze stuff in where we could, you know? Yeah, we're we're facing that same struggle because we can we have to have a minimum and we have a cap off of how many credits that we can have for a, a program. We have an advanced certificate that that uh, adds on extra stuff. So we have a course for diesel, which we're revamping now. Uh, we have a course for automatic transmissions too. So you want to go more on the diagnostic side. Uh, same with engine performance. We have a second one of those. And um, we moved electronics, which is an advanced electrical course, to the main degree program uh, just so we can move some other stuff around whenever they swapped it uh, or they changed the regulations. So we mm-hmm. have it. 
And Alternative Fuels is part of that degree program as well, the advanced certificate. Uh, so it's not required by them to take. We're trying to push them in that direction. Okay. But, uh, we'll, we'll have to probably change some of the credit hours, but uh, not a lot of people understand how this part works. Um, but each class is a certain amount of credit hours. It also changes how much they cost, uh, makes it more likely that they'll sign up for the other classes as well. But I think the main thing is like pushing to see or to show the students that this is stuff that you would want uh, to learn and see more about. Because if you go into a shop and it's like, oh, hey, there's a, I don't know, Ford Fusion hybrid here with a, uh, a battery issue. I don't know how I'll go about it. And it's like, well, I could have you know, taking this course and learn all about it and see how it goes. And now they're just going to go pull a code or pull a DTC, go on Identifix and look up the hot fix section, mm-hmm. see what works. Uh, we're trying not to, we're trying to teach students to not do that. You know? Right. Uh, One of the things I found uh, because I was, I was trying to be, you know, up to date with, current technologies and testing methods and tooling that's available. And I mean, one thing that I don't even, this isn't really groundbreaking or on the, you know, the cutting edge of stuff, but it's the relative compression test, right? I I would teach that in my engine mechanical program or uh, course that I taught was here's a relative compression test. Like it's a super easy way to get an idea of the compression of the engine. And so the students would, yeah, they get to learn how to use a scope to do it, but they'd go into the shops. And I remember one student coming to me, he's like, you know, the, the text at the shop kind of like balked at me that I wanted to do this test and nobody does this test. Like, what's the deal with that? I'm like, I don't know. It's really, really easy. And I think it's just that little barrier of learning that stops people from integrating the easy stuff. But I was just like, just push through that, man, because I guarantee you, this is something that you want to utilize. that's going to make your life easier. And once Maybe once those other guys see like, oh, he's figuring out that that thing has a, a dead hole within five minutes, they might do the same thing, you know? Yeah. And I, I see that all the time with those students. I see it, especially if, because um, uh, I've given out a couple of classes to the other instructors to show them that so they can teach it in the beginning courses. And before that, they, I would blow minds showing that same test, relative compression. And I've had it to the point where I would show some, like when I go to shops out in the field, I was like, hey, you have a dead hole after they just replaced all the spark plugs and coils and injectors in the world. It's like, I don't know how you missed this. And then they would fight it and say like, oh, yeah, we did a compression test. It was pretty good. It was, it was good. And I was like, no, it's like, look at this. That's, that's just nothing. Yeah. Um, and most of the time like that kind of scenario is because they they've abused their tool and it lies to them whatever the case may be but uh it's like i don't even know what that is how is that telling us it's like well it's it's a mechanical reference you know that's why it's called relative compression test so it tells us like we have this cylinder with this mechanical issue it's not putting out we need to figure out why and then, uh, and then that same shop or that student will ask me, "Say, like, okay, well, once we see that, what's next?" And I'm like, "Well," and I pull out a pressure transducer. And it's like, "Here's what we're gonna do." And at that point, we'll 
I'll do the test, show them, and then they'll ask me a bunch of questions for the next two or three weeks. Or the customer will say, okay, whatever, I have no idea. Here's your money. <laughs> figuring it out. Yeah. yeah. I, I've seen some eyes glaze over at shops when I got the scope out. I'm like, see right here? Yeah, there's there's no compression. He's like, oh, oh yeah, for sure. I definitely see it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah he's like so what do, so what do i have to fix uh, yeah, okay all right yeah pay me um what uh what areas do you uh actually teach like what courses are yours right now as the full-time position uh right now as a full-time i'm teaching hvac for the first time heating and air conditioning so that one's kind of new to me um it's mainly because it's, some of these classes are last minute but I'm teaching electronics. That class I just finished here a few minutes ago. Uh, I'm teaching engine performance, uh, engine performance one right now. And I have an intro class that I'm teaching, which is in my opinion, the hardest class to teach. Um, and that's also a last minute class as well. Cause before I was only teaching the two. Yeah. I, I remember when I started, I got the job in May like they, uh, I, I was a big long interview process throughout the spring of 2017. They said they called me at the end of May. Said, "Hey, you got the job? Yeah, that's cool." So I go down in June to talk to some of the, the other instructors within the program, and we start, um, you know, late August, like August 21st, I think was the first day. And I was like, "Hey, can I get all the course material?" Because I was doing like ten courses can I get everything so that I can get up to date on stuff and figure out all the stuff? And he's like, well, here's the textbook. The guy before you took all of his course material. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, huh? <laughs> so so uh, luckily I had that couple of months of the summer, but that wasn't nearly enough yeah. uh, to, to write those courses, especially never doing it before. And I was, I was actually pretty blown away by that, that the college is just like, yep, figure it out. <laughs> Yeah. And I, and I did, and I was glad because I made it mine, you know, everything I was teaching was, um, you know, obviously with a lot of resources and stuff, but it was constructed the way that I wanted it to be so that when I was teaching it, you know, it, it was really my material. Like I'm not teaching somebody else's material. I'm not reading out of a textbook. This is based off of Sean and his experiences in the field. And then you know, the other resources, but yeah, there's a lot of work to create that stuff. And yeah, they do kind of, kind of throw that stuff on you. Um, and, uh, pretty much it's like, usually you'll have a class last minute and it's like, Hey, figure it out. But, uh, reality there, there are instructors out, uh, that we have here, at least at my school. I'm not sure about everywhere. Uh, that's like, Hey, I know it's last minute. Uh, I have this class set up. I know it may not be what you want, but here's what I had for that class previously. I hope it helps out so that way we can uh, prepare the class a lot uh, sooner, better. Uh, we can get some sort of a head start and sure. go along. At least that way they don't think that, you know, they haven't helped out, whatever the case may be. Yeah, I tried to do that with the guy who was replacing me. Um, was set him up the best they could. I wasn't going to just like hand over all of the stuff that I worked on completely. Like here's everything that I just worked on for the last five years. Um, but I can still set them up with like, here's the outline. Here's how I did things. Here's the things I covered. Here's what you need to be aware of. And we spent, we had several meetings uh, with each other to try to get him 
uh, you know, up to speed and what he, what he would expect from that first year in the college. And so hopefully it helped. I've talked to him a few times since and sounds like he's doing all right. So yeah, that's good. Uh, yeah. Cause teaching is definitely a lot harder than you would think it would be. <laughs> it's a lot more work than yeah. people think it is. Uh, yeah. that's, that's the thing. What, what do you think is the most challenging thing about teaching? Uh, planning an entire semester from start to finish and making sure they get it. Planning is the biggest part because you can go uh, every two weeks, figure out what you want to do for the next two weeks for an entire semester, but you can end up so jumbled around with what the students learn. And then at the end of the semester, like they'll either forget a lot or they'll, um, have a lot more questions, but if you have the time, or if you know you're going to teach a class months in advance, at least like three to four months in advance, you have that time to set up an entire. For us, it's 16 weeks, uh, a whole 16 weeks worth of curriculum. The more you have scheduled and set in stone, the smoother it's going to go. But the less time you have like in my case if you have two weeks in advance and never taught this class before um you have that just that little time to take everything you know about a subject and everything you have available to you to help teach that subject and uh, plan out how you're gonna get these students to understand it yeah (laughs) it's kind of time it takes so much prep time, you know, if you want to make an hour of content uh, with the with the students, it's not an hour of prep time. It's maybe three, four, uh, depending on what you're doing in order to get this stuff. And then you have to run through it. That's what I found is like I made these things, you know, these these exercises or this lecture or what, whatever we're doing in class. I make it up outline it, try to structure it the best I can and think that, yeah, this is going to work this way. This will get this message across the students, but then you go do it and you're like, oh shoot, I didn't think of this happening. Or what if the student asks me this, or what if this breaks and doesn't work? And, you know, sometimes cars don't cooperate, right? And so you have to like, you have to redo it for the next time, but that going through it once in real life, I think really helps you understand, okay, I'm thinking it's going to work this way, but it really doesn't. Um, then you can kind of pivot, adjust, make differences. Well, and then different classes will react to a specific exercise different ways. Like every group of students has their own identity. So one, uh, you know, thing that you had, you're like, wow, this really worked great. Everybody was engaged. I feel like they really learned something. People even told me they like it. You do it next year. And everybody's like, oh, okay, whatever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, and uh, I have a perfect example of that that happened today, actually. We um, received a Honda Fit, I think it's a 2015. It's a 2015 Honda Fit, and it wasn't an accident, I could tell. Uh, mainly, you know, body damage. And um, it was repaired half, half-assed in a way. And the tail lights on the passenger side were dim or didn't work, whether it was brake or turn on at all. And I was like, okay, this would be good for my electronics class. So I had them pull it in. I was like, all right, I want you guys to diagnose this uh, 
Pastor side tell that assembly. Tell me why it's not working or working them. And uh, they got it out, whatever. They put, I had them pull up the schematics, do all this and that, give me some pinouts. Um, tell me what you expect to find uh, at each connector. It's, it's a basic light system. They're, they're LEDs, but still basic powers and grounds. Mm -hmm. Just to get them going. Uh, I thought this was going to be a good hour, hour and a half uh, shop time. You know, we have five hours per class. We have to make sure it's all used to, to the max. Turns out it was just unplugged. It was barely connected. And I was like, oh, man. If they do every, all this um, time, you know, at this point it was like 10 minutes into it. I'm thinking we're going to have at least an hour. Uh and it was just unplugged. And I'm like, okay, well, that's a good example of how quick a job can be, guys. Yep. <laughs> I guess we'll take a quick break. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You got to be able to think on your feet. That is for sure. Um, maybe when technology stops working too, is like the projector stops working one morning, the bulb burns out. You're like, huh, what am I going to do now? Let's head out to the shop. <laughs> yeah. Works both ways. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, hopefully we can find more work coming in. HVAC though, that's uh that's definitely needed there down in Texas, huh? Yep. <laughs> Lots oh, yeah. of AC work. <laughs> oh yeah. Usually um usually I have students that have a hard time wanting to bring something into class, but that this this class in particular, day one, like half the class had a vehicle in the shop, right? <laughs> Ready to like know what's wrong with my car. How do I figure it out? Yeah, yeah. For sure. <laughs> yeah. And then cool. the uh, the electrical side of things, uh, you like that? You get into that? That is my favorite subject, honestly. That's the one reason why I stayed in the industry for so long. Um, and like I said earlier, like when someone introduced me to the PicoScope, I was already like questioning, like, should I just change industries? You know, uh, I I want to learn more about the electronic stuff. And I took electronics class, and it opened up my eyes, and I was like. I I really like this. This is nice. And I taught that class and all my students liked it as well. Uh, had the similar reactions. Like I was really questioning this, but uh I really real I realized that how much I liked the electrical. But I also have a little bit of a background in it too though. Okay. My background goes uh I was in the military, uh I did four years in the Marine Corps. My job was uh, Motor T, which is a diesel mechanic. Okay. Uh, so we did all the mechanical stuff. Uh, they taught us a little bit about electrical, but not a lot. Mainly just how to, you know, read a book to figure out how to troubleshoot certain issues and fix it. But uh, I went back. They sent me back to the events training to learn fuel and electric. So we went more in depth. And that's what I did for my four years overseas in the States, did it all. And uh, I really enjoyed it. It was really interesting because uh, it never it, it's never the same. It always changes. But the mm -hmm. but the theory is still the same. It's just the faults and the problems are never the same. Yeah, like you have the rules of the game; those don't change, but the the puzzle, the challenge is going to be a little bit different every time. But you you got that? Like I know how it works, and it has to work this way. That's I think that's the way the reason I've always enjoyed electrical too is you can you can apply that base to no matter what it is, and it's got to be that way. Yeah, and uh, 
and that's you know when I got out I decided that you know my job transferred over and that's how I ended up in the program and continued on and then it started I started getting burnt out until I found you know better tools and better new things to learn of electrical and I stayed I liked it um, did you say you worked for GM I did I worked for uh, GM Diller and um, going there I was an apprentice starting my second day working there uh, they wanted to fill me out by putting me in the express lane by the end of the day they're like this guy doesn't need to be an express lane make him an apprentice and I got lucky because uh, most guys are on the lube line or express line for six months to over a year. Mm-hmm. So they put me with a lead tech, and uh, he trained me from that point on. And he always wanted to be clean. He didn't like getting dirty. He didn't like taking out engines all the time. He mostly diagnosed and did a lot of the uh, uh, problems that nobody else in the shop wanted to do. So that's what he trained me on. And I, I was very grateful for that because it taught me what I was hoping to learn. And uh, he was a real great teacher. I hope he, uh, whenever he decides he wants to stop branching and become a teacher, he comes to the school. He'll be a great teacher. Uh, and uh, I was there for about four to five years, I want to say. Okay. And it started capping out because the dealership life is... Uh, you have to fight for customer pay. Warranty times are garbage, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, pay nickels for jobs that should be paying money. Like yeah. Money. And uh, it started to affect me. So after a certain point, after capping out on learning things, not making the money that I think I should be making, I decided to leave after a bit. And... Uh, I tried doing my own thing. I started, I got my LLC. I got all the credentials and things I need to have to have a business. And I marketed out. I started going to shops, started going to um, businesses. In the beginning, I did try to do some regular customer work. Uh, I'm not a people person. So that kind of went away real quick. Okay. Um, but, uh, I, start, I kept going to shops, and in the beginning, it was really slow. I uh, would get, like, a call. Occasionally, there would be a shop that was like, oh, hey, we could probably use you right now. And I was like, oh, great. Um, I'll diagnose something or I'll try to program something. And at this time, I was only able to program GM efficiently. Uh, but this first car was a uh, <laughs> it was a, it was a Land Rover. And so trying to program my first Land Rover that's quite the jump from uh, GM to Land Rover. <laughs> yeah, it was an epic fail. <laughs> but, uh, I'll see what I can do. Um, and I had a mentor. Uh, he's my mentor now still. Uh, one of the common programmers he teaches here at the campus to also help push me to become a teacher. I called him and said, hey, can you help me out? He's like, don't worry, uh, I'll uh, take that one on. So I passed him on to him and he fixed him up. But he helped me learn how to do it after and uh, the next two ones I had that were also Land Rovers or Jaguars, I was able to program them then have a whole laptop dedicated just for that. Um, and then went from there. And it was great. It started to pick up after a few months uh, going to shops, dying programming. And I didn't mind it because 
I was able to talk to people in the industry. I didn't have to explain every little detail, uh, except for diags. I had to explain that a lot because uh, it would I would lose them and how I didn't find it on Google or in the hotfix section. Right. It was like, just just replace this or do that. I'll give them some instructions. Whether they listened or not was on them. Yeah. And uh, it was going great. Uh, a couple years later, that's when I did the whole process of becoming a teacher. And it was good after that. Uh, there's a lot that happened over the years. It's, I, most of the time I hear your um, your podcast is usually I hear people talking that either that's been in here for five to ten years. I've only been in this uh, part of the side for about three or four years now. Not that long. Mm-hmm. Or people that are just now starting out. So they... They have all this stuff that happened to get them where they're at, like fresh in their mind. And I'm having to recall back to, oh man, what happened back in 2015, 2015. <laughs> all right. Yeah, right, right. I, I have some of those too where I'm like, man, I know that I dealt with this problem, but it was like 10 plus years ago when I was a tech at Firestone. And I'm like, what the heck did I do to fix this thing? <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, speaking of Firestone, uh, might if I ask you like how how was Firestone for you? Because I know you were in the shop, but I forgot which one it was, and it was a Firestone. I find that interesting. Yeah, uh, I was there from 2011 to 2017, and you know it's like any job. There's there's pluses and minuses to it. Um, it definitely wasn't all bad. I made a lot of money. I was I I figured out the flat rate thing. And I made it work to my advantage. Um, it definitely doesn't play into diagnostics, but luckily I had a knack for diagnostics, so I was able to make some money with it, but that wasn't the money maker, right? It just got it funneled me work because then I could do the repair, right? Like you know, you figure out this where this open is and then you get an hour to repair the wire which that takes you five minutes to do right so it actually made me work by funneling to me because the uh the people who ran the shop the service writers and the manager would say yes sean Sean will be able to figure that out just give it to him sort of thing and so it was a good thing but the diagnostic work itself which i enjoyed didn't really pay the bills but i made a lot off of doing steering and suspension and alignment and brakes um and so that part of it was good. Uh, it it does eventually become just a grind um, because they want you to work. I mean, they're open seven days a week. And if you don't set some boundaries, they want you there as much as possible, right? They put you on the schedule for six days a week unless you really fought for it. You had to be there every Saturday unless you really fought for it. And um, there's no there's no work-life balance. Um, the benefits are good. They have a good 401k and health insurance and vision and uh, dental and all that stuff because it's a big corporate company. Um, but the, it just... It wasn't the place I knew I wasn't going to stay there forever. Um, There's a lot of turnovers in stores, you know, the way that it's managed, it's, it's all about the money. It's all about the profits. Um, And they would turn over people. They, They did this thing with store managers, right? They'd have a set amount of store managers within, you know, we're in the twin cities area here and there's, there's 20 plus stores around here. Cause they do, uh, Bridgestone owns Firestone and Tires Plus, so they're kind of all the same. And they take a store manager, and they'd all kind of have their own 
vibes in the way that they run the store, right? And they'd have these guys that are just sharks, right? They're going to drain the customer base for every single dollar they can. And they're going to upsell everything they can. And every break job's getting four calipers. And everything's getting an alignment check. And if you were to tack in that store, yeah, you're making a lot of money for a period of time. But inevitably, it's going to piss off that customer base and you're not going to keep getting that work for longer than six months or so. So then they have another guy and this wasn't laid out to me, but I saw it. I know this is the way it is. They identified how the store managers operated and they would have another guy who's a fixer. Okay. He would come in and he repairs the relationship with the customer base. And that's not a quick thing by any means that could take two three years to build back up that trusting customer base within the neighborhood that that store is in and then they move him out of there and th- and that sucked because i was in that position in that store where we had a really good store manager we had a really happy customer base and we were making enough money we were doing good but then they're like nope you're out of here we're gonna put that shark back in the store and boom then they're hammering and again the dollar amount of the store goes way up for the next couple of years, but then it's going to come crashing down. So if you're a tech and you're running through that cycle, yeah, at times you're making really good money, but then at times everything's tanking and you've got to wait through that like rebuild process. And I, I did not like the way that they decided that was how they were going to run it. And I don't know if somebody at corporate Firestones listen to this and knows differently, you can tell me, but I watched that happen. That cycle several times while I was there at different stores. And it's got it in my mind, it's got to be intentional. Um, so anyways, that's a, that's a long winded answer to, um, it's not the worst place to work in the world and you can make a good living, but, uh, the work life balance isn't great. And, um, I don't always agree with the the business practices. I think it kind of reduces the morale. And well, here's the other thing too. I go to a lot of Firestone and Tires Pluses um, and not to yammer on here, but when I left Firestone, I went to my area manager and I said, hey, I'm teaching now, but I'm willing to be the diagnostic. I didn't even do programming at the time. I'm willing to be the diagnostic guy for all of your stores, right? I'm not going to work in a store, but call me and I'll come out. I'll figure out the cars for you. He's like, I don't think there's a really a need for that position. I don't think we can do that. I'm like, okay. So I went out and I started my own thing and <laughs> I service pretty much all of the tires plus and Firestone stores around here. I have like almost 20 on my customer list right now. And so now I can charge whatever I want. Um, so that, I thought that was funny, but I go into these stores, right? And and I was just in one yesterday and the morale in these shops is so poor compared to some of the other independent shops that I go to. Like you can just, being that I go to five, six different shops a day, I can feel the vibe, the energy between people, how interactions are going between the tech and the the people up front and between the customers and just how the shop is maintained and how clean or isn't not clean it is. And it is compared to a lot of other independents that I go to, it is so poor. And I really do believe that's, that's a product of the, we are only just focused on those numbers, crushing those numbers and not much else. And and people are just kind of, kind of unhappy there. So sorry if you work at Firestone, but that's my personal (laughs) opinion on it. 
I don't think they disagree with you at that point. <laughs> I've been to a few of them uh, to help them diagnose or program something. And I, I kind of see that vibe, too, at some of them. Like It's kind of all over the place. Cause I, when I saw that they were seven days a week, I was already like, I was thinking, like, these guys need a break. I yeah. don't know. I don't know how they can open up that long. I mean, it's great for the customers, but I don't like some of them or a lot of them hardly had texts at all. Yeah. One of the fire zones had like three texts and they were rotating them like two, uh, two of them will have a certain amount of days and then the other guy will have the other amount of days and they'll have days off in between or something like that. But I, I don't think I can, uh, I don't think I could do that personally. Uh, kudos to those guys. Yeah, it, it's um, you can only do that for so long before you get burnt out. And the every Saturday thing, I did that for a long time. And man, I missed out on so much stuff. When I finally left that, I went to teaching and I had weekends off. That was such like a magical thing for me. Like, oh, I can go to that thing that's on Saturday afternoon with my friends and family. What, what is this? And, and that that should be how it is. Like everybody should have a couple days to reset and not have to, you know, go into work. And they, they capitalize on it because there aren't other shops open or very few shops are open on Saturday, Sunday. So they're getting all of the panic emergency work that's happening on those days or people that can't make it to a shop during the week. And so from a business corporate perspective, sure, that makes sense. But I, I like you say, they're struggling just like everybody is to find techs. But I think even more so in those stores, they can't find technicians to fill those spots. They have a few, you know, top of the line guys. That they're paying very well to stay there and then filling the rest of the spots is extremely difficult. It is difficult that part. And it makes me kind of wonder too, because I visited my old dealer earlier last week, I want to say. Because uh, mainly because I need a state inspection done. Uh, they don't call me for diet because they never really need it. Uh, GM dealers tend to have what is called uh, field engineers, uh, yep. basically what we are for the independent world. Uh, but I was there for a state inspection, and I see that they still have a full shop because that dealer that I worked at had uh, three levels, a top shop, middle shop, and bottom shop, which we call the dungeon uh, between all three, it was about a good 30 to 35 techs. And uh, they didn't seem to be lacking in one. And I'm just wondering, like, how did these guys, like, maintain them? And, uh, yeah. But I saw that the uh, manager was different. Uh, the manager, they changed management. Uh, I believe they were actually bought out. They were bought out by some corporate because it used to be family-owned. And I think okay. that's it. Uh, or whoever they hired to be the manager did it because uh, the same guys are still there from when I left. Uh, you know, when I was talking to some of them, I was like, oh, yeah, you've been manager for a while now. And uh, I was like, what, what do you mean by a while? I was like, well, he's been here for at least a year and a half. And I thought that was crazy because at the Diller World where I was at, I was there for about four or five years, and every year I had a different manager or at least two. So it was a revolving door for management. Yeah. Uh, so I was like, okay, well, that's good. Because uh, during that time, we would have new faces every so often, except for like a handful of guys. I think it 
I think it really goes to show something about a company or store or whatever management when they can hang on to an employee for a long period of time, especially today, right? I think you go back 30, 40 years, that's not a surprising thing. That was the norm as you you go to a place and you work there for 30, 40 years and you retire with a pension, right? That's yeah. that's not today. Today, like job hopping is almost encouraged. Um, and if you run into a place, there's a, there's a local Napa store to me that's just a couple towns over. They have the same core group of people working in this Napa store as when I started as a tech in 2006, which to me is like unbelievable. Like, what is this guy doing in this store to keep these same group of guys there for so many years. When you go into O'Reilly's and you, you might go there later in the day and have <laughs> a different person there, you know, um, I, I think that's a really impressive thing that says something about the management when you can hold on to people like that. Yeah, it really does. And it makes, it makes me uh, a little happy about it because if people are looking to hire, it makes me feel a little bit better to say like, okay, well, if you're looking to hire, we have, you know, students that can go there. Um, if they're, you know, if they're good students, good technicians, potentially, I don't feel bad like saying, Hey, I have this potentially really good technician that can go there and not have to worry about like, Oh, he's probably going to quit pretty early on because of that. Makes me feel good about it. How involved are you guys with getting students uh, into shops what's your role there oh man um it we're very big into it we always every semester we'll hold an event called a meet and greet and we'll invite local shops whether they're independent um they could be jiffy lube we're, we're unbiased with it um mostly it's dealerships that show up uh, a couple of other franchisees like lambs or uh What's the other one? I think I've only seen Firestone once in the last few years. They'll come set up a booth. They'll have little merchandise to give up to hand out, little pocket screwdrivers. I always tell my students to grab a handful. Um, and they'll hand out business cards. And I tell, and we tell the students, like, hey, if you're looking to be in the shop, you know, if you have a resume, something to give them, give it to them as well. So that way y'all can, you know, build relationships, network, uh, see what your options are out there. Um, and it's kind of difficult in that part because there's about 50% of the students that are very timid to uh, jump right into it, whether because they're straight out of high school or um, they don't think they're ready for a shop. And I, uh, I try to push them, or we instructors try to push them uh, to say, like, well, just do it. You're not going to know until you do it. And uh, the sooner you do, the more you'll find out that you really are and um me personally i'm i am really honest with my students like i'll tell them straight up, like yeah you need to you know practice a few things first or practice how to you know change oil without accidentally draining the transmission fluid out you know or i'm like yeah you need to get into a shop yesterday if they're that good mm -hmm. um because I, you know, I have to be honest with them. So I'll point them to whichever shop they're interested in, whether they want to work for Mercedes, GM, or whoever. Uh, a lot of them really want to work for Asians or European shops, not going to lie. Um, but there are some that do go to the domestics. And they are the ones that are going to excel the most, I, I think. 
and dealerships and other shops are happy about it too because they have someone that they can start off somewhere whether they need someone to be an uh, oil changer they need someone that needs to help out the old timer in the shop uh, be an R&R tech something they're it, everybody's happy about it yeah uh, it's a it's a good thing to be able to help somebody get their career started and get into a place that's gonna you know be good for a good fit for them and i always told everybody there's a right place for everybody like some people are going to enjoy the independent side of things way more and that was me as a tech i tried the dealer thing i didn't like it independent was mine but then the opposite's true as well there are certain people where the way that the dealership is run and the fact that you get one car line they really enjoy that and so that's right for a certain type of person. So we tried to get a mix of everybody into the school as far as what was being advertised to them and where we, or what like job offerings we would present. Cause we got an onslaught of people reaching out to us saying, Hey, we have a job. Do you have any students? And so we just kind of had a board at the college of like, we put everything up, like, here's all the places that are looking for positions. Here's what they're looking for. Here's what they work on. You know, get in contact with us. We'll hook you up with whoever is in charge of hiring over there. Um, but that was a cool feeling is to like get them just going with their uh, career and getting them into a shop. And obviously, uh, you know, I don't have to tell you or probably anybody listening, like there's no shortage. I was like, if you wanted to work, there was work. <laughs> that, that was that was a good thing about this. And uh, there is no shortage at all. It's either you want to work or you don't. And then yep. the technician and then the employers that says that no one wants to work well what are you doing wrong uh both ways like there's people out there people want to work and then there's people that don't but say that there is it goes both ways yeah um uh, speaking of uh classes anyway uh you were at vision this year right i know it was months ago now but i believe you're yep. at vision. uh i was actually hoping to meet you but with everything going on i couldn't uh find time or see where you are anywhere that's the trouble of vision is so many people and i and there's always people like that like oh hey, man how did i miss you how are you were there i was there how did i not see you <laughs> yeah. um i got a i don't know if you have received one but i received an email saying if i wanted to instruct the class i can submit it did have you received something like that um I don't know that I received one for vision. I'd have to check my emails or not. I'm doing a class for um, uh, in uh, October for the it's a Florida Alliance Auto Care, I think is the acronym, but the it's the Accelerate Training event. I'm doing that one. That's actually my first like full professional training event that I'm doing up in front of professionals. So even though I've taught in front of a group of students for five years, I'm super nervous about this one. It's so a really different group. Yeah. Yeah. They yeah. know what they're doing already. Or right. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. Um, I think you'll be fine. Uh, you're a pretty intelligent man. Uh, so how the Florida intelligent, is that like, is that something with uh, Mario diagnostic or anything like that? I know he does some stuff. No, um, actually I should be exact about this. Let me see if I can find it here. Um, it's uh Brian Klein was the one who, uh, kind of talked me into coming down for this one and they're actually holding it at the, uh, Disney, uh, 
uh, it's like the Disney Resort or whatever. Here we go. So the Florida Florida Auto Care Alliance, and it's the Accelerate Automotive Training event October fourteenth um, at the. <laughs> this is a mouthful. Wyndham Lake Buena Vista Disney Springs Resort. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think they did it that way so you could uh, you know bring your family down. But yeah, they got uh, John Thornton, Rich Falco. Brent Klein, um, let's see what else are they doing. Adam Robinson, Gary Smith. They got a few. Uh, oh, Jim Morton too. They got a, they got a lot of people down there teaching. So if all those classes are full and you can't get into them, I guess you can come hang out with me. But <laughs> there's a lot of really good instructors there. <laughs> if, I was, uh, if I was able to go, I'd go down. Why not? Uh, that's, that's actually cool. Uh, uh, me and the guys in the Texas group. We were talking about doing something like that, where if we can get some set up to create a an automotive Texas Tech meeting and have some of the great of the great guys come down uh, and host some classes, kind of like a like a what you guys are doing there, or like a mini ASCTE or ASTE. And yeah, yeah, I you know I talked with like Fonslow about potentially doing something like that up here and uh my my issue has just been time i've been so strapped for time to take on any additional projects but uh, kind kind of definitely a vision of mine is to have something up here uh, near the twin cities because we don't have a ton of stuff live in person up here in the midwest there used to be some stuff in chicago but i don't think there has been within the last three four years or after covid at least and so it's all either east coast yeah ast is down north carolina um uh kansas city kansas city i guess is still considered the midwest so that would be the closest one that's only a six hour drive but you know I like stuff in my backyard too. So I, I had those thoughts too. It's just the planning that goes into it is quite a bit. So yeah. I get props to the guys who figure that stuff out. Yeah. yeah. If anything, we'll probably figure it out in the next, I don't know, five or so years once we all start to settle down more. Um, but I think it'll be kind of cool. We, we have more than enough stuff in Texas at least to hold something. It's just yeah. like I said, the time and all the setup, uh, setup procedures that you got to do. And the right. a good amount of money goes into it too to get going. Um, but yeah, uh, and you said this is your first time. Like, no shops ever asked you to go out and teach their shop anything ever. I've ha- I've had a few requests for that, and just uh, again with the time, I've just never followed through with actually putting something together. But I've had a couple shops say, "Hey, would you do an electrical class for our shop?" and just never panned out for one reason or another. But um, I did the tech talks at vision the last couple of years where it's like a 10 to 30 minute presentation, just real quick, get up there, say your thing and get off the stage. And um, that was a good starting experience for sure. And again, doing it in the classroom obviously helps, but um, yeah, it'll be, uh, it'll be experience doing it for the first time. So I'm excited. Yeah. Yeah. Because I was always wondering about that. I don't know how I feel. Uh, part of me wants to, because uh, I've gotten some requests for that as well, and mainly it's electrical. Because I I have some shops that don't have that doesn't have any surface 
I have some shops that have not used service information or don't own it. Sure. Uh, and then I have shops that have it and don't know how to go about it. And they have no electrical foundation anywhere. I don't know if it's because they just can't get it or whatever the case may be, but they they always end up calling me. And uh, one of the shop managers or a couple of them asked me, hey, can you do an electrical class? And I've done one so far for a shop, and it was a CAN bus course. And uh, I put it together over the course of a week, so it was very basic. Um, but that shop still managed to get a good amount of uh, information out of it. And uh, I, I charged them, uh, what was it, like a few hundred bucks it was, I don't remember, it was a while ago. I think it was about five or so just to train like six guys. Mm-hmm. That's it. Okay. For a couple hours. And I was, I was thinking to myself, like, am I taking money away from myself? Like, uh, the Chinese guys, how this stuff works? And, because um, I mean, I'm already a teacher, so I, was, I wasn't thinking too much at the time. And uh, I was like, well, I guess not, because there's, you know, companies and guys that you know, hosts that travel around giving out training as well. Mm -hmm. But locally, um, I'm not sure if I'll get less calls if people were to start to get it more. But at the same time, I'm thinking like, well, we need these guys to understand this more. So that way uh, we can kind of grow as an industry. I don't know if you think anything similar to that. Yeah, I definitely understand what you're saying is, yeah, if you're going to go to the local shops that you service as a diagnostician and you're going to train them how to fix the problems that they're already paying you to fix, it could be definitely be looked at as, you know, taking money out of your own pocket. Um, you know, I did something similar with shops that have difficulty with the secure gateway with Dodges. They just we got to call you every time just to clear codes out of these things. So what I set up was you pay me X amount of dollars and give me your check card and I will set you up with an auto auth account and you give me your scan tool. I'll get it in there. Um, and then it'll be the $50 a year to your card. And here's your username. Here's your password. Log your tool into the Wi-Fi. You're good to go. And then I get my one-time payment for that rather than getting paid for every time I go out there. Now, does that take money out of my pocket? Potentially, because I could charge X amount every time I go out there. But but it's one of those things where it's like, is that what I want to do all day is go and clear codes out of dodges? It doesn't really interest me. So I'm okay if that goes away. There's In our industry right now, the problems that exist with cars... I think there's enough of them where you can teach people how to do some of this stuff and there's still going to be plenty more challenging issues that are going to come your way if you're doing diagnostics and you're showcasing your knowledge on these systems. So they're all the more likely to call you when they do have an issue that they can't get past. Right. So maybe they solve some of these easy ones. They find the connector that's unplugged on a GM or whatever, but there's still going to be some tough ones. Well, what do we do now? Okay. Well, we got to call Malcolm. Like he's the guy. He knows this stuff really well. We're going to get him in here. And so I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. It's like, you don't want to share all your secrets, right? But diagnostics is one of those things where it's like, I can show you everything that I do. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you'll be able to do it without the same amount of years of practice that I've put into it. Right. You know, I've, I've put it like, 
you know, you can watch LeBron James play basketball. He'll show you everything he can do. Good luck duplicating it. And I'm not saying I'm LeBron James of diagnostics. That's not what I'm trying to say. But what I'm saying is diagnostics is like that. It's a skill that you have to build over a long period of time and getting your butt kicked. And so as much as I'd love it to be one class is not going to get you there. So you're still going to have plenty of people calling you for work. And if nothing else, you're just getting your name out there as you're the expert on that subject, you know? Yeah. Um, Yeah. And um, yeah, I can see that. And yeah, that's a really good analogy for it. It's the, the programming and stuff I think is not so much that way, right? I could show you how to program a GM and for the most part, if GM server is working, you'll be able to do it. And maybe you won't be calling me that much anymore if you buy the tools. It's like, oh, okay, this is pretty straightforward. But yeah, I can show you how I diagnose a parasitic draw and what what I do. But if you get the next vehicle in that's a little different and has a different draw than that one, are you going to be able to figure it out? I don't know if I'd be okay with teaching them how to program for a few reasons. One... Shops don't. There's some shops out there that don't tend to listen. Uh, you have to have certain guys that have to uh, master it, and they're not always guaranteed to be there. And then biggest one is that they, uh, money-wise, as far as buying all the tooling and subscriptions, I don't think that a lot of shops program enough to validate having the capabilities of programming. Right. Right. Um. Right. It's tooling in a lot of cases there that's yeah I mean, stopping. Yeah, I see some shops with the, what's it called, the wrap, whether it's by Snap-on or straight from sure. Carbon. And I don't, uh, I still get calls, me and everyone else I've talked to about it. They still get, we still get calls to come and program something because the wrap is, has proven to not be. It's got uh, holes. Yeah, it's, it's got holes. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm just saying, like, you know, it's not a, uh, not trying to knock Cardac because, you know, that's one of my main uh, programming functions there. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, like, it's just got holes, man. There's yep. nothing to do about it. Uh, at that point, it's just experience. Um, I don't know what else you got going on today. Uh, but. Yeah. Um. What, well, let me ask you this. We can wrap up with this one. What, what's your favorite part about teaching? So ask what the most challenging part is. What do you like about it the most? Oh, um, what I like about teaching the most is uh, seeing those students. Because we can have a, a group of students in a class that's about, say, 15 students. Right? They're not that big usually. but uh, It's a good number. It's a good number. So out of 15 students, maybe uh, all of them will learn something, but then you'll see like that small percentage, that 5, 10, 15% of those students uh, take it and they'll run with it. And then you'll see them about a year or two down the road and they're that one guy that you meet in that shop or they'll come to you and say, Hey, I'm, you know, uh, one of the leads or something of that sort. They're, uh, they're the diet guy. They're the go-to guy. Um, and they, they go far with it, especially 
uh, when I teach a class as an advanced class and I tell them that their final can get an automatic 100 if they pass like the L1 or the L2 or the L3 nice. and they go and do it because it, it just gives you a good you know feeling because you know those aren't exactly easy tests right in the beginning uh it's being able to pass on that knowledge is really it uh sharing it with people that that deserve it because i don't like to share knowledge with people that want to abuse it or just want to find a quick fix when they are stuck I mm-hmm. the people i want to share it with the people that are driven to uh uh to do better in the industry with it that's awesome yeah um it, it is really cool to see a student that uh, takes off. Um, and I've got a couple in mind. Uh, one guy went and worked for Tesla and is doing awesome things. I got another uh, student local to me that opened up a shop of his own recently after being out in the field for a few years. And that's pretty cool to see. Um, just to, uh, you know, to know that you've helped somebody get started in their career path that's going to allow them to support themselves and their family, uh, is, is a very satisfying, uh, rewarding feeling as that's the part about teaching. I think that is really rewarding. So like I mentioned, I might go back to it someday once I'm done with this mobile thing, but, um, it is, uh, it is pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I'd say I'd probably give up on the mobile thing, but I, I, it's too good, and I have too many uh, experiences with it. It's kind of hard to pass on some of these customers, too. They keep calling regardless. <laughs> right. They won't leave you alone. It's like, how did you get my new number? <laughs> yeah. like, oh, you got that going on? Oh, that'll be a good case study for class. <laughs> All right. It'll be this much. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah. For sure. Keeps, keeps you relevant. That's uh, that's an important thing, for sure. Yeah. So you you yeah. fall behind pretty quick when you're not doing this stuff. Yeah, that's that's mainly the reason why I'm going to still do it, just not as much. I'll do it on my times where I'm not teaching. It's like, all right, I'll schedule you for this time. It's like, oh, can you schedule me sooner? Nope, you're going to have to wait. And that's usually not a problem. But, uh, yeah, staying relevant, that's that's definitely a big thing for me. It's, what, it's actually my biggest fear right now is, is staying relevant, getting those calls. So I don't plan on giving it up, not anytime soon. Cool, man. Well, uh, it was really nice to meet you and thank you for spending some time with me today. This was awesome. Yeah, no problem. I was uh, very nervous the entire time. I don't know if you noticed or not. Especially right after after class, my mind is still going 100 miles an hour for the (laughs) students trying to like slow it down a bit. No, you you did just fine. So (laughs) it's all good. All right. Um, All right, that's going to do it for today's episode. One more big thank you to Malcolm for joining me on the show. I really appreciate it. I also appreciate everybody listening to the show and all the feedback that I get. I try to get back to everybody as I... I try to get back to everyone as quickly as I can. Uh, If it's a little delayed or if I miss somebody, definitely don't take it personally. Uh, Got a lot of emails coming in, so uh, but keep them coming, and I will get back to you as soon as I can. The emails in the show notes. You can also message me on Facebook, uh, which find me there. That might be the quicker way to get a response. Uh, I'll 
usually that'll pop up on my phone. And sometimes the emails will slip through the cracks or even go to my spam folder sometimes. But anyways, with that all of the way, let's get out there and start fixing the world one car at a time.